morning, Brookside. It's great to, uh, it's great to be together this morning. Um, today we're in our final part of our series that is taking us through the New Testament book of Acts. And um, just want to kind of project forward a little bit of where we're going in uh, the coming week. We're going to be starting a new series next weekend, and um, it's, gonna, it's called Dear Church. Tim's going to be kicking it off for us. And uh, so make sure you're here. You won't want to miss that series. It's really going to be looking at many of the letters that the Apostle Paul penned to these churches. And so uh, it's just full of, of great stuff for us. So don't miss next weekend. You might be newer to Brookside, and I, uh, we'd always just want to keep mentioning this. We're on a, a special journey this year, and we're reading through the scriptures together, and uh, we've called it 365. And I want you to know you can always join us in that journey. We're having um, so much, we're seeing so much fruit come from it. And uh, so know that you can go on our website or you can go even just out to Connection Corner, just out those doors, and get a reading plan that will help you track through uh, reading the Bible this year. And then on Sunday mornings, we're teaching uh, through those uh, together. So it's, uh, it's a really fun year for us. Well, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, just even prepping for this week, I was, I was, as I was reading through Acts, I was thinking, there is so much significant stuff here. There's so much that's going on, and God is doing so much, and, and the church is growing, and all sorts of things in the book of Acts. But what we've done is we've called this series Nucleus. And we called it Nucleus because we wanted to boil down just to three things that we really see in the scriptures that would rise maybe even to the top that would be of core importance. Three things that for a local church to really thrive or for uh, you and I to thrive uh, just personally on the spiritual front, these three things are of incredible importance. And so this morning we've got the privilege of looking at the third um, one of these. And I know personally um, just prepping for these last two weeks, God has been doing a work in me. And um, on the last week, just that, that, that topic we were in, and then this week as well. And so I'm praying that the same would be, would be true of you as well. So before we dive in, um, I would love for us just to, and I, I want us to do this because when we do this, God responds to it. And so I just want us, even maybe where you're sitting this morning, would you just put your palms up on your lap there? And just as a symbol of God, we want to receive from you this morning, would you pray with me? And let's just invite him and say, God, your word is alive and active. Would you speak to us this morning? So would you, would you in that posture, pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are a good, good God, as we've sung this morning. And Father, we come to you now, and we just want to say, Lord, we want to receive from you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in this place. We pray, God, that um, to the God that we know knows everything about us. You know the weeks that we've had. You know the ups and the downs. Um, Lord, you know as well this morning the things that you want to speak into us. And so, Lord, this morning we just pause long enough just to say, Lord, I am open and I am expectant. And so would you even just pray that right now? Would you say, Lord, I am open and I am expectant to hear from you this morning? Go ahead and just do that on your own. Lord, thank you that when we come before you in that posture, Lord, you show up, and we're excited about that. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing in Brookside, and we don't take it for granted. We're so grateful for it, and uh, we pray this morning as we go into your word, I pray you'd protect my words, that you'd lead them, and then God, I pray that you'd protect our hearts and our minds, and that you would do something just significant, the very things that we've asked. And so, Lord, we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, if um, you want to turn to Acts chapter 20 this morning, that's where we're going to be. 
Towards the end of this last summer, our family went on a family vacation, and we went to this lake where my parents have a cabin on over in eastern Iowa. And I grew up on this lake, and so the memories that I have of this place are just full, tons and tons of memories. Well, about five years ago, the dam broke on this lake, and so it's been a little bit of a different place. Well, this year when we went on vacation, the dam was completed. It's rebuilt, right? It's a good thing. Um, and it's refilling. But when we were there, it wasn't quite full. It actually had a long ways yet to go for the water to, to fill up in it. And so we were there, and we are kind of getting creative, doing different things. And one day we decided, hey, we're going to go uh, kayaking. So we got in these kayaks, and we went down the lake or the stream, you know. And, and so we're kayaking down. And, and at one point, we got to this rock that was to our, to our right side. And it was just really this big cliff that just kind of is there. You can, yeah, here's a picture of it. And so we pulled up to this thing. Now, for me, this thing that we used to refer to when we were kids as the rock, this thing is chock full of memories. Because I remember watching from a boat and watching people walk to the edge of it, and they would jump, and they would maybe, grown men would scream like little bitty girls, or maybe I would see this a lot, people would walk to the edge of it, and then they would go, oh, and they'd stand there, and they'd debate, and then, then they'd turn around, and, and then five minutes later, they'd come back, and, and you'd still be down there, and you'd be like, just jump, and they wouldn't jump because they were scared, and, and they would repeat this over and over, maybe 30, 40 minutes, and then to their shame, they would just come down and just swim away because they couldn't quite work up the courage. Well, we're on this little kayak journey with the fam, right? And our kids are 10, 8, and 5. And so we come to this thing, and I had been thinking about it the whole trip. But when we got there, I, I laid it out. And I said, hey, kids, we should jump off the rock today. And I didn't know if they'd be up for the challenge or not, so, but they seemed to be. And so when we got there, we got out of the kayaks, and we swam over to it. And, and now here's the thing. I thought it was intense for me growing up. But for them, see, the, the water line used to be about right here. But for them, it was going to be another 15 feet that day. And so when we swam over to it, because the lake wasn't quite full, it was a bigger drop. So we swam over to it, and, and I made sure it was still deep enough to embrace the fall, you know. And, uh, and then we started to climb up this big rock. Aiden, our oldest, was leading the way. And, and we got to the top of it, and there was these three high school students that were there that day. And it was great because they loved the fact that there were some younger kids that were up for this adventure. And so we get to the top of this rock, and they're kind of clapping and just cheering the kids on, like, oh, you can do this, a piece of cake, you know? Yeah, right. And, um, and so one of these kids, though, looks at our youngest. He's kind of sizing up the kids, and he looks at Easton, the five-year-old, and he goes, I bet the youngest won't go first. Now, I know my son. And is, the moment that he said that, I was like, ah, oh, shoot, you know? And, and sure enough, Easton looked at him, kind of like, what? You know, looked at him, and then he did this, like, not a nod like, you're wrong, but like a side, like, oh, and then he said, oh, yes, I will. And he starts running toward the edge of this cliff, to which at that moment, this high schooler realized he shouldn't have said that, and I realized I needed to try to stop this kid quickly. And so I said, stop, Easton, stop, right? But he's in front of me. And so he's running full steam. He gets to the edge, and I'm trying to catch up to him. He gets to the edge, but he was going too fast, right? He gets to the edge, and he does this movement because he sees, like, oh, you know? And so he goes, does this, and finally he got enough momentum to get his head back. And right about that time, you know how little kids' life jackets have that little strap on them? I reached out. I grabbed the strap, put him down on the ground, right? Then I just picked him straight up, and I said, little buddy, I love your enthusiasm. I said, but if you don't do this jump right, it is really going to hurt. 
And so I said, here's what you got to do. You got to slow down a minute. You got to make sure when you jump, you know, you point your toes. You got to keep your arms in. And the last thing that you want to do is a belly flop. You've got to keep it all nice, high and tight, buddy, as you jump off of this thing. And so he's, you know, now he's had enough time to look out. And I've had enough time to look out. And I remember the first time I stood on the edge of this cliff as a kid, and I thought, this is crazy making. I don't know why anyone would do this. This is so much higher from up here than it looked like from the boat. And that was scary enough. And so now I'm standing there with him, and we're up another 15 feet. And I'm thinking, I hope he won't go, because I don't want to go, you know? (laughs) But sure enough, I think he remembered in that moment, because he acted a little scared, but then he looked behind him. And I think he kind of looked at the guy that kind of said, I bet the youngest won't go first. And and he he just something had triggered in him, and it compelled him in that moment, and he just jumped. And I just watched from top going, Oh, and, and he's going, and, and it's a far enough drop. I mean, we're talking high dive, and then some, and then some. And so he's, he's going through the air, and he's kind of floating, and you know how you're scared? And so his arms go from here to where they should have been to like here, and then his whole body's starting to drift, and I'm thinking, oh, water, please come, come, come. And finally, boom, he hits the water. After a little bit, he resurfaced, which was good. That took a little longer than it should have. But he, he comes, he comes popping out of the water, and we just clapped and cheered. And I was hoping that our claps would just overcome maybe his pain if he was feeling any at the time. But he was okay. And everybody was so excited. But here's the thing. What I realized in that moment was that that guy's words compelled this five-year-old to do something that most people wouldn't have thought for a five-year-old was a logical thing to do. Have you ever known anybody Maybe you knew them up close, or maybe you knew them from afar, but they were so compelled by a cause. There was something inside of them that they got motivated to do something, and they couldn't be stopped. They were relentless in their pursuit of it. And you watched them, and you thought, I aspire to do that too, but the way that they delivered on that being compelled, it was different. It actually equated into action. It wasn't just emotion that they felt, but it equated into action. And I don't know about you, but when I see people like that, it motivates me. When I see people like that, it makes me want to go, not just, wow, God, would you give me the courage, but it makes me go, wow, God, would you help me to be the kind of person that I would be compelled by the right things into action. Today, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul is compelled. The Apostle Paul is compelled to action because he's compelled by the gospel. He's compelled by the message of Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning is, and we're going to ask this question, what does it look like to be a person who's inspired? What does it look like to be a person that's just internally motivated, that's driven, that's willing to take risks because we're compelled by the fact that Jesus Christ has changed us and so it makes us long to join him in helping others experience this gift that has been so graciously given to each of us. And so to unpack this, we're going to look today at Acts chapter 20. And in this passage, and I just got to say, every time I read through Acts This chapter, it's one of my favorites, and it captures this very emotional moment in the life of the Apostle Paul, and what is happening is that Paul has been in Ephesus in Acts 20. We see he's been in Ephesus for three years, and he's on his way out. He's leaving. He's going on to yet another place to share the gospel message with another group of people. But as he leaves, what we see, he gives this final, this farewell speech, and then we see this group of people respond. 
And we see, okay, how did they respond to his speech? What happened inside of them when they realized this guy is leaving and we're not going to see him again? And what we'll see is that the way that they respond tells us a lot about the impact that he had. And the impact that he had was compelled by the fact that Paul was so internally motivated by the gospel. And so it says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 36. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of, the, with all of them and he prayed. And then this was their response. And they all wept as they embraced him and as they kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to his ship. Now, each time I read that, I ask myself this question. If I was gone, would people grieve me when I'm gone? Think of the impact that he had to the level at which Paul was motivated. He was compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It inspired these people so much that when they found out, we're not going to see you again, it drove them to utter tears. There's no doubt about it. In the short time that Paul had with them, he made a significant impact on them, a significant impact on him. When news of his departure, when it hit their hearts, it blew them away. Now know this. It wasn't as though Paul had just been ministering to this little small community. Paul was in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus, a city. This is the second largest city at this time in the Near, in the Near East, in the ancient Near East. And know this about it. It was a booming metropolis. It was filled with people. It was filled with people who were, had brilliant minds with artisans and philosophers. It was filled with people that would have asked Paul good questions, people that would have sought Paul for, for advice, people that were listening to the gospel. And know this, before Paul came, no one there knew the gospel. They didn't understand the gospel. The gospel message hadn't yet come to this place. And so Paul is on the forefront of that, and he's bringing the gospel to them. And as a result of his life, he's compelled to preach the gospel, and it's done something inside these people. They do not want him to go. Now, if I were just to talk about being compelled this morning, this is how I think about the Apostle Paul. If we were to contrast, what does it mean to be compelled versus being complacent? What does it mean to be compelled at the very top? Here's where I would put Paul on the spectrum. I would put Paul right here. He was clear right up here at the top. And this morning what I want us to do is ask this question, where would you place yourself on this spectrum? Would you say that, yes, I'm, I'm highly compelled by the gospel. It motivates me. It leads me. It drives me to certain things. They weren't just losing another leader. In Ephesus, in this booming metropolis, they were losing a guy who had made such an impact on them. They were losing someone who had represented the gospel in such a way that they couldn't even fathom his leaving. In chapter 21, it says that they had to tear themselves away from him. And he made such an impact. Why? Because Paul, being compelled by the gospel, he shared the gospel everywhere he went. He would go into the synagogue, share the gospel the scriptures say that he knocked on doors. He went door to door. He went into the marketplace. He went everywhere he could to share the gospel because he was compelled by what Jesus Christ had done in him. Now what's really interesting, and you can see just how compelled he was, when you contrast what was Paul like, what was the scene like 
before Paul was a Christian or shortly thereafter when he came to faith in Christ. And here's the thing. Christians weren't inspired by Paul at this point. They weren't inspired at all. As a matter of fact, they feared for their lives. In Acts chapter 9, it says this. This is shortly after Paul came to know Christ. It says that all those who heard him were astonished and they asked him, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And, ha- and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Meaning this, hey, isn't this the guy that we heard about? That, man, when he came to town, he tried to arrest and persecute and kill. He stood over Stephen when Stephen was dead, and he affirmed that that was a good thing. Isn't that that guy? And then it says this later in verse 26. It says that when he came to Jerusalem, imagine this, he tries to join the disciples But they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. When Paul came, they said, whoa, we don't want to be around. Who who is this guy? We're we're afraid of him. Now, you dive deeply into Paul's life, and you can see the extent to which Jesus Christ had changed him. Many of you, when you came to know Christ, people looked at your life, and they said, God's done something in you. You're different. You used to be like this, but... You're different than than you used to be. And they noticed something about you. They noticed that the gospel had done something in you and that it it had compelled you, that you were different. And so what we're going to do this morning is this. We're going to work through Acts chapter 20. We're going to work through this farewell speech. And what I want us to see today, and maybe you just take away one of these five things, but we're going to look at five different things that I think we see right out of Paul's life that mark the person that's up here that mark the person that's compelled by the gospel, that there's something in them that the gospel, it motivates them, it moves them. It's undeniable that they're compelled by the gospel. And I believe that you'll walk away today and you'll be able to go, okay, that, that one thing, okay, God, would you stir in me because I want to live compelled for the gospel. Or maybe you're here today and you're newer to church and, and you're just exploring Christianity. I would encourage you. I think this will be helpful to you because you're going to see this morning five things that are true of a follower of Jesus Christ. So I think it's going to help you in your, even in your understanding. So imagine this. Imagine that you announce your departure. I'm leaving Omaha. Imagine if you did that and instead of that just being a blank email, not a big deal, but imagine if when you did that, you had been so compelled by the gospel that when people heard you were leaving, It grieved them to the core. So here we go. Marks of a person who's compelled by the gospel. Number one, here it is. Jot this down. Number one, they're overwhelmed by God's grace. What does it look like to live up here? What does it look like to be compelled by the gospel? Paul made this so clear. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He said this. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul was saying that I am overwhelmed by the grace of God. Now know this, Paul was a devout Jew, and so he understood the law, he understood the Old Testament, and he understood that in comparison to the law, he was a sinner and he needed God's grace grace. And so he says, wow, I testify to what? I testify to the good news. I testify to the good news of God's grace. In 1 Timothy, uh, he wrote this in chapter 1. He said, the grace of our Lord 
was poured out on me abundantly. Like, like I didn't deserve it, but God, you just poured it like it kept going, like a flood, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, isn't it true that when you understand your sin, all of the sudden the grace of God is so appealing. Paul understood who he was. Paul understood his past. Paul understood, okay, I am a sinner and I am in so desperate need of the grace of God. And when he received the grace of God, it, it just welled up inside of me. He was overwhelmed. When you're aware of your sin, you become overwhelmed by the grace of God. This is why many times you'll see this. You'll see very emotionally stable adults in our church. And we'll be singing worship to God, and all of a sudden you'll see these adults, sometimes they'll begin to cry. And here's why they're crying. It's because they're reading words on the screen that are true, and they're going, I'm experiencing the grace of God. And then they go this. Sometimes they'll ask themselves the question, where would I be without God's grace? The person who's compelled with the gospel, they're overwhelmed by the goodness and the grace of God. Number two, the second mark, here it is. They're focused on God's purpose. Paul wrote this. He said this in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Just, I want to go back to this verse and point something else out. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task to testify to the good news of God's grace. I said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is what? It's to finish the race, to complete the task. What was Paul doing? He was saying, I'm focused on God's purpose. The scriptures record this immediately after Paul's conversion. We see this in Acts chapter 9. It says, at once, what did he do? He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God right away. He goes to the biggest place that he can find in the synagogue and where people are gathered and wherever they were gathered, he would go. And, and it says that he began to, to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because he was focused on the purpose that God had for him. He was focused on it. He was all about it. In the previous chapter, before we get to that farewell speech, Acts 19, it's neat because of Paul, it says that he, when he arrived in Ephesus, boom, right away, what did he do? It says that he entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly. Imagine him surrounded by people and he just speaks up. And then I love this example, Acts chapter 29. A little bit further on in his journey, Paul's on trial. And he's about to be arrested or he's been arrested. He's on trial. And he's on trial because he's been speaking so much about who Jesus is. and He's been telling so many people about the grace of God that it's, it's kind of... It's kind of brought up this little firestorm, and it's, it's quite a stir that he's created. And so he's standing before this king, King Agrippa, in Acts chapter 26, and the king says this. He says, okay, Paul, you're free now to defend yourself. Paul, go ahead and defend the reason why you're finally here standing before me. And so Paul looks at that, and he says, I'm not going to squander my influence. And so he's focused on what God would have for him, this open door that God just gave him. And so I'd encourage you to read the story. So he begins to share the gospel. He gets to the end of it. And in verse 28, the king says this. says, then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in, this is funny, I think. Do you think that in, in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? It's the king said that. And Paul replied, this is key. 
short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but that all who are listening to me today may become what I am. What Paul was saying is this, I'm overwhelmed by the grace of God. I'm so focused on what God has for me. And what's my prayer, King? Do, you, do, do I think that I can convince you to be a Christian? It's not really my convincing to do, but I do pray this. I pray that God would open up your heart, and not only you, King Agrippa, but everybody would experience the grace of God. The power of the gospel, it compelled him. Ultimately, Paul wanted to get to Rome. Paul wanted to stand before Caesar. Paul wanted to get to the biggest platforms in the biggest areas where he could, the, most, the highest density of people, because he wanted people to know the gospel. It's what drove him to travel over 10,000 miles. And back in that day, I'm telling you, these were, this was like frequent flyer guy on steroids, right? This was not easy travel, but he did it. And why did he do it? Because... He was so compelled. The gospel had done something so significant in him that he said, I, I can't help but, but be compelled and want more and more people to know the God who knows me. What would God call out of you today? Church, what, what, what task, what neighbor, what people, what people group maybe on the other side of the world what, would, what business, what would God call you to? What would God say, this is the platform that I have given you, and if you'll live compelled by the grace of God that I've put inside of you, you could make such a significant difference in the lives of many people. You could offer my grace to them. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, Jeff, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to make it another day. And you're overwhelmed with all the things that are going on in your life. I think it would bring you peace this morning to say, okay, God, where do you want my focus to be? I think it would actually, instead of the, everything looking so kind of frazzled and stressed out, I think it would give you, okay, that's my lane, and that's my purpose with my kids, with my coworkers. Okay, God, that's, that's what you want me to do. I think it would bring, you, would bring you peace. I have a friend that in the last couple of years, it is so evident, he is giving, <clears throat> he's giving his life so that international students will know God. He's in our church. Many of you know him. And it's inspiring. I watch him week after week, and I just think, he's giving his life. Why? Here's why. It's not a mystery. Ask him. He's compelled by the gospel. He's compelled, and it's doing something inside of him. And so he looks at different people, and he says, I will not squander my only life. I'll use it for God. And God, if you'll give me an open door, God, you put these circumstances in my life, and that just means opportunity in different ways. And so, God, I'm going to go here, and God, I'm going to go there, and God, I'm going to influence as many people as I possibly can. The person who is compelled by the gospel is focused on God's purpose. Let's move on. Number three, I love this one. Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, but here's the point first. Here it is. They're alive to God's leading. What's the third mark of a person who's compelled by the gospel? They're alive to God's leading. Paul said this in Acts 20, verse 22. This is at the kind of the beginning of his speech. And imagine he's talking to these people that love him. And he says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. But notice this. Even though he doesn't know what will happen to him there, and, and he does find out that actually hardships are going to come there. It's not going to be easy at all. He's going to suffer there. 
But here's the thing. He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. The person who's compelled by the gospel, they live with their eyes open to the scriptures, but they live with their ears open to the promptings of God. Last weekend, I asked you to ask this question for one week straight. Here it is. Am I alive to the Spirit of God who is alive in me? And I think this question is a game changer. I think I'm going to remember 2016 working through the book of Acts and asking this question, am I alive to the Spirit of God who is alive in me? And Because here's the thing, when your heart and when your mind is informed by the scriptures and then when you walk through life and you say, God, I also want my ears to be open to who you are and how you lead me, we are amazed at what God does. We stand back and we just go, God, wow, you, you would do that in our midst. God, we're so thankful for that. Just this past week, many of you, you walked closer to God than you ever have before, and your ears were open to his leading. Wasn't it a blast? Yeah, I know it was. You're hearing and you're obeying God. It's nothing greater. Paul was compelled to live open to God's leading. God, where do you want me to go? Okay, Jerusalem. Okay, don't stay here any longer. Okay, move on. Okay, that, I walk per- by that person, I stop. No, no, I don't. I, you know, but, but you're informed. You're, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm open. I, I want to see how you lead me. When we do that, God does so much, more than we can ask or imagine. And number four, here it is, the fourth mark of a person compelled by the gospel. They're motivated by a love for people. They're motivated by a love for people. In Acts chapter 20, it says this, Paul, these are his last words to them. Verse 35, it says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself when he said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul lived in such a way that people were always on his mind. He was compelled by a love for people. He walked around and he thought, who can I help? Who who needs to hear? And he was constantly open to what God might do. And it's worth noting this, though. It wasn't easy for him. Have you ever found that to be true, that when you want to listen to God, oftentimes God asks you to do things that are very uncomfortable? That's how it was for Paul. Let me read this to you. These are some of the things that marked his journey of being motivated by a love for people. This is what it cost him. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashings minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. Okay, Paul, we got it. Tons of danger, right? Not comfortable, though, was it? Verse 27, I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've been, I've been hung, in hunger and in thirst. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been without clothing, I've been in the cold, and then he says this, but besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, meaning this, above every shipwreck, above every cold night, Paul says this, at the top of my concern was people. 
I went through all of that, but what really grabbed my mind, what was really a toil for me was I was concerned about the churches. Because when I went to them, I gave them the gospel and I entrusted them it to them, but I knew people would come in and want to distort the gospel, would want to leave them away from the grace of God. And so he says, above all, I care about people. I'm concerned about these churches. Through it all, Paul loved people. He was overwhelmed by that. Brookside, you do such a good job at loving people. I love being a part of this church for that reason. Just a couple of weeks ago, we got a call from Child Protective Services here to the office. And they said, hey, we've got an emergency situation with a couple of young kids. And we, the kids have been pulled out of their house, a horrible situation. We're putting them in foster care. But we need to get them clothed. We need to get school supplies. We need to get them on their feet so that they can show up at school and they can get, try to get back to life as quickly as possible and back to normal as quickly as possible. Can you help? We put this out on social media, and I tell you what, when that social worker showed up at the church to pick up not just the little cute backpack, but the bags of stuff that you provided just on the drop of a hat, it spoke words to her, to the community, to say, the gospel does something. When people are compelled by the gospel, it changes them, and they overflow with even generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I love this. Paul said this. He said, Christ's love, what does it do? It said, he said, it compels us. It says, wow, we don't look at people the same way. It compels us. Now, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not very good at basketball. You know, I mean, the height thing is a contributing factor and a couple other things. And, but here's what I do know. I know that when I'm trying to teach my little guys and gal to dribble, I know that they're supposed to do this. They're supposed to put their arm out. Christina played basketball. She, she kind of helps me with this. They're supposed to put their arm out like they're trying to fend off a defender, and they're, they're supposed to bounce. But what a kid will want to do is they'll want to just do this, head down, right? Head down. Boom, like this. And so you say to them, and I remember going to basketball camps, and the coach would say this. You'd be going down the court, and he'd say, head up, head up, head up. And he'd just constantly scream, head up, head up, head up. But he wanted you to see he wanted you to be able to see who's coming at you and where you were going to pass next and where you should go. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. When he went through his life, what did he do? He lived with his head up. He was constantly looking around. He was caring. He was motivated by his love for people. He lived with his head up. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you sat there, maybe people next to you, two or more people, and they weren't looking at each other. They were looking down at their phones like this. You ever had that happen? And you thought, why aren't they talking? And they just kept doing it, though. And you're like, I think they like each other. They want to come here, you know, dinner together, the whole thing. But they just kept their heads down. I think sometimes this is just a kind of a reminder for us. We need to live with our head up, right? We need to be the kind of people. I think Paul, when he saw people, he lived with this mindset, my head is up. I'm looking around. God, where would you open up a door? Because I'm motivated by my love for people. My head's not down. I look at needs, and I, I see them. Paul was motivated by that. Lastly, and we'll close here, Paul was compelled by the gospel. Why? What, what, what would it do? What would it produce in him? It made him willing to take risk. We read this in Acts chapter 20, verse 19. He says this. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of 
severe testing and plots from my Jewish opponents, he said, you know that I have not hesitated in the midst of all that. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared both to Jews, that was a hard crowd, and to the Greeks, and, and, and that they must turn to God in repentance and, and f- have faith in our Lord Jesus. I love this. He said, I've not hesitated. Meaning, God, if you wanted me to do it, I'd just step through the door. God, if you open the door, I'm going through it, whether it's scary or not. And know this, it was scary for him, but he lived compelled. Why? Because the gospel, it had changed him. He was overwhelmed by who God was. Now, here's where I want to leave us this morning. I want to drive us right back to this question. Here it is. Very simple question. Am I compelled by the gospel? Am I compelled by it? Has it done something inside of me that is so great? Where would you put your name up here this morning on the spectrum? Would you say, yeah, I'm I'm complacent. I mean, I agree, Jeff, the, the grace of God has been so good, but I haven't been very compelled by it. Or would you say, yeah, man, I'm up here, God, you're stirring in my heart. Rob chose this, I think, a perfect song to end this morning. And as we sing it, I've just been praying that we would have just kind of a holy moment together as a church. And, and maybe for you this morning, you would say this. You would say, God, I need that moment where you overwhelm me by your grace. God, I need you to remind me this morning that your grace on me is so significant. Or maybe this morning you would say, God, you've given me this platform, this influence. And so God, in that place, would you help me to be the kind of person that I don't squander my influence, but God, I use it for you. Or maybe you would say, God, I want to be open. I want my ear to be sensitive to your leading. God, that's how I live out compelled. I need to hear from you. Or maybe you would say, it's people. I've got coworkers that I see as annoyances instead of as people. And so God, would you break me for people? God, would you break me? As we look at for our city, God, would you do something inside of me that you'd say, it's just, it's not an annoyance. It's not somebody you should just brush off. That's a person. That's a child of God. Or maybe this morning it's this, and you've just been sensing, God, you want me to change my direction in life. You want me to go do this, and it's a risk. But God, I pray that that I would be so compelled by the gospel that I would enter into that. I would take a hold of it today. So as we sing, and I think these lyrics, you'll understand why I think it's just a perfect song. I just pray that God meets us in this place and that we really just really do business with him during this. So would you stand with me and then we'll, we'll pray together. Lord, we, uh, we sing this song to you now. And um, Father, we just pray when we started this message, we said, Lord, our hands are open, our palms are up, and we're, we want to receive from you. And Father, it's true, a, a, a little boy can be compelled to jump off a rock, and that's fine, that's a competitive spirit in him, but God, we want to pray that we would be compelled by something so great called the gospel, the message that you allow us to have relationship with you through your son, both now and for all of eternity. And so, God, we pray that the gospel, that the knowledge of who you are, we pray, God, that it would do something inside of each one of us now. So, Lord, we pray. And, Lord, Father, we, now we sing to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.